Welcome to Watershed's June podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. Along with all of society, the arts are going to have to regroup and seek to rebuild and recover post-COVID-19. There have been a number of pieces in the media on the challenges faced by the arts sector. Most recently, an interview with director of the National Theatre Rufus Norris and Maria Bolshaw, director of the Tate. As Bolshaw said, this is going to be a period of the most acute challenges the arts ecology has ever faced. So what do we mean by the arts? Theatre, classical music, yes. Opera, ballet, of course. Art galleries, yes, of course. The word is in the title. Film, well, wait a minute, isn't that commercial? Uh, And really deep down, just entertainment. Art with a capital A has a deeper transformative impact. It's not just a weekend entertainment distraction. So when does film become art? When does a filmmaker become an artist? I've often thought about it when I've been in the cinema at Watershed and audiences have been engaged and moved by what they have experienced on screen. I remember standing at the back of the auditorium at the end of Michael Haneke's Amour. No one moved. There was a stunned silence. The audience were caught by the emotional intensity of the film. The story, the way the story was told, and clearly wanted to stay with the emotion and take in what they had just experienced. They had been moved beyond being entertained. Similarly, when we screened Steve McQueen's 12 Years a Slave, we had a series of formal and informal talks and events in partnership with Black Curating Collective Come the Revolution. McQueen's film was going to resonate in Bristol, a city whose wealth was built on the back of the slave trade, and we wanted to provide opportunities for the film to connect. I remember a young black woman saying how much she valued the opportunity to engage in the various discussions. She had been to see 12 Years a Slave the week before at the multiplex. In that moment of viewing, she was transported into Solomon Northup's painful journey. As she left the auditorium, she wanted to talk to someone about her journey with the film. She wanted to connect her experience of being transported by the art of filmmaking. Of course, it's not the function of multiplexes to facilitate that connection. When you say the word art, I suspect you do not immediately think commerce, business, industry. But there is an important relationship between the areas of the commercial mainstream and the publicly funded. The example that always comes to my mind is the hugely successful play War Horse. It was developed in the public sector and went on to be a significant commercial success. Out of public funding support comes economic benefit. This is part of the ecology of the arts. Is that the same with film? My own professional experience in film exhibition says absolutely, and it is important to have the range of contexts with which film can be exhibited. Not just for the audience in general, but for potential filmmakers. Filmmaker Edgar Wright, for example, started his career in film projecting in an independent cinema. Over the years, I've had a number of people in the film business who have said to me, I was inspired by watching films at your cinema. In Bristol, we are, or rather were, blessed with having a rich film ecology, which ranges across 20th century flex video shop, 
Yes, a bona fide old school video shop with staff who can engage you in the finest detail of world cinema in the finest Werner Herzog impression. To the multiplex with independents like The Cube, Watershed and Scott Cinemas in between. Whilst in lockdown, I've been rereading film producer David Putnam's book, The Undeclared War. It's a very astute analysis of the evolution of cinema and filmmaking. A history of technological innovation, commercial exploitation and artistic expression. A dance with big business and global power. In very, very broad summary, American, and by American we really mean Hollywood, dominance in film came about through exerting economic power following the ruination of Europe after two world wars. In the pre-war era, European companies like Pathé in France and Babelsberg in Germany had the basis of commercially successful national film industries. However, post-war, the reconstruction of Europe meant that America had economic dominance. Meanwhile, the American film industry had realised early on that government support was required to help with access to global markets. Trade follows culture, as it was neatly summarised. In post-war reconstruction, not only was Europe in hock to America financially, but Hollywood could flood the European market with its products. Culture would now follow trade. The other issue of credibility that film faces in its status as an art is that it is mechanical, now digital, and therefore easily reproducible. This is not a problem for the other art forms. Even though you may have a postcard of Turner's painting Rain, Steam and Speed at Home, or indeed you can look at it online, it is important, unquestionable even, that the original should be in the national collection and available for people to see. I firmly believe that when you come face to face with Turner's original, there is a different order of experience, of seeing, of engagement, which is essential and important. Documentary filmmaker Fred Wiseman captured something of this value in his 2014 documentary, National Gallery. For me, it follows that seeing Michael Haneke's Amour online is of a different order to seeing it in its intended conditions in a cinema. Here's filmmaker David Lynch quoted on this subject. If you're playing the movie on a telephone, you will never in a trillion years experience the film. You'll think you have experienced it, but you'll be cheated. It's such a sadness that you think you've seen a film on your telephone. This is clearly an extreme view from a filmmaker, or is he an artist, who spent his life on his art form for it to be viewed in substandard conditions. I wonder what Turner would have to say about the postcard of his painting that I am currently holding. Like Turner's paintings, Lynch's films, and the age of reproduction means we can access them on many different forms and platforms. But surely the value of being able to see them in their original condition should not be diminished. I say this as the British Film Institute have just announced their Japan 2020 season, some of which would have been available to screen in cinemas across the country. The season includes classics like Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, which is available to watch on Watershed's curated page on the BFI player. But like the postcard of Turner's painting that I am currently looking at, will you have seen the film as Kurosawa intended?
Film then can be too easily defined by its commercial value and its reproducibility to comfortably be embraced by the art world. But in these current discussions about the challenges that the arts ecology faces, I hope that the value of the real-world film ecology does not get lost. For as we know, ecologies are very fragile. That's all for this month.